And I'm going to turn my mic on, and now I'll say good morning and glad that you are with us. Stop typing. I can't hear you. I got my mic on. Okay, we're all set to go. Very good. I want to tell you that uh, for the last week or so, I've done really good at social distancing from people. I have not done so well at social distancing from all the pollen that is falling. Three days ago, I woke up, and my voice was gone. It was completely gone, and I'm starting to panic a little bit. I felt fine, but all this pollen in the air, my allergies started acting up. So if my voice sounds a little scratchy, I'm just going to ask you to bear with me this morning. We'll get through it. When I was just a little kid, I remember every morning getting up and watching a show on television called Romper Room. Now, I didn't realize it when I was a kid, but it turns out that Romper Room was shown all over America in different cities and different stations. I watched Romper Room on WJAC-TV, Channel 6, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, serving millions from atop the Alleghenies. And the host of my Romper Room was a woman named Miss Patty. And every morning, Miss Patty would come on television, and she would have a bunch of little kids with her, and they would sing some songs, and they'd play some games, and they'd show a cartoon or two, and Miss Patty would share some kind of a moral lesson with us. But my favorite part of Romper Room was the very end, because it was the very end that Miss Patty would take out her magic mirror. And her magic mirror was really nothing more than a mirror with the glass broken out. It was just a a blank mirror. But Miss Patty would tell all us little Western Pennsylvania kids that she could see us out there in TV land. And she would start that section uh, of the show by saying the the romper room mantra. Romper, bumper, stomper, do. Tell me, tell me, tell me true. Magic mirror, tell me today. Did all my friends come out to play? And then Miss Patty would start looking into the camera and naming all of the kids that she supposedly could see out there in front of their televisions. I see William, and I see Jonathan. I see Charlotte is with us today. I see James. And every time Miss Patty would start this, this section of the show where she was looking in her magic mirror, I would get right in front of the television. I would get like inches from the television going, Miss Patty, I'm right here. I am sitting right in front of the television. Can't you see me? Come on, Miss Patty. Say Tim. Say Timmy. Say something. Acknowledge me. And every now and then, every now and then, Miss Patty would say, oh, and I see Timmy is with us today, and so is Larry. And and I'd like, yes, 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 Miss Patty saw me. Miss Patty knows. She knows. Miss Patty and I were were connected. And I would be in such a great mood the rest of the day because I had this connection with Miss Patty. I feel like I have come full circle with the magic mirror. Now, here it is the second week in a row that I am preaching to a camera instead of an audience here in the auditorium. But I hope you realize and I hope you feel that there is a connection going on. And it's not just through media. It's not just through technology. There's something a lot more going on here this morning. We are connected. You know, there's, there's a lot of power in community. 
We talk about that a lot, but it's more than just community. We're connected through the Holy Spirit. As children of God, we are connected through the Holy Spirit. We are united in Christ. And I hope you realize that this morning, and, and I hope you're feeling that and experiencing that this morning. Even though we are socially distancing, even though we are not together physically, in Christ, we have a really powerful bond, which is so comforting and so encouraging. You know, I told my wife this past week, I think in the last two or three weeks, I have heard every single passage from the Bible that has to do with fear quoted. I have heard every single encouraging quote that deals with overcoming fear quoted. I've looked at every meme that has to do with fear. I've read thousands of blogs, it seems, that has to do with fear. I don't know what I could tell you this morning. I don't know what I could say to you this morning that would really help us as far as fear that you haven't already heard. So this morning, I don't want to talk about fear. Instead, I want to talk about joy, and I really want to talk about hope. You know, fear is the symptom. Hope is the cure. So this morning, I want to talk about hope. And just like last week, I want to do it by focusing on a New Testament passage. It's kind of our anchor passage. But then I want to look at that passage through the lens of an Old Testament story. Go ahead and look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is going to serve as our anchor text this morning. And I want you to listen to what Paul has to say. Uh, it's written by Paul. He's writing to Christians who are living in Rome, and he's writing to Christians who are struggling. He's writing to Christians who are living in uncertain times. He's writing to, he's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ who are very fearful. Here's what Paul says. I'm going to begin in verse 2. Romans 5, verse 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice also in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. Kids, Faith Lane kids, last week I gave you a challenge to draw some pictures of some things that you hear during the sermon this morning. That'd still be a great thing to do. If you want to draw some pictures and, and you know, post them on, on social media, let us see them, uh, that would be great. But I want to give you another challenge this morning. And I'm going to warn you right up front, it's going to be a tougher challenge. I want you to listen, and I want you to count how many times I quote this passage, how many times I repeat this passage. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. It's a tough challenge. You're probably going to have to get your, your mom and your dad to help you keep track of that. And your mom and your dad are thinking right now, great. You mean I got to pay attention? Well, you might as well, 
Because when everything's finished this morning, I want you to post online your guess as to how many times the preacher said, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, I'll get you started. That's already four times. I've already said it four times. So start your counting at four. And then sometime today, put your guess as how many times I say that online. I said that I want to use an Old Testament story to, to talk about hope. And it's a story that you're going to be very familiar with. It's the story of a guy named Joseph. Joseph has an amazing life, but I want to focus on the part of Joseph's life that doesn't exactly turn out like he had thought it might. Part of his life where, where some of his dreams and, and most all of his plans kind of fall apart. But first, a little bit of context and a little bit of recap. Um, we meet this kid, Joseph. He's 17 years old. He has 11 brothers, but there's absolutely no doubt that Joseph is the fair-haired child in the family. He's the favorite. His dad has this really special coat of all kinds of colors, and he's going to give it to one of his sons, but there's no question about which son is going to get that coat. It's going to be Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of the favorite wife, and everybody knew it, including Joseph. Now, those brothers of Joseph, they weren't crazy about Joseph getting all the attention, and they became very jealous of Joseph, so much so that they make the decision, they're going to just do away with him. They're going to kill Joseph. But then at the last moment, they decide, no, let's not kill him. Let's instead sell him into slavery. An opportunity arises, and instead they sell Joseph, their brother, as a slave. Joseph eventually ends up in Egypt. So Joseph has gone from really having it all to having absolutely nothing. He's a slave in Egypt. But a remarkable thing happens to Joseph while he's in Egypt as a slave. God is with Joseph in Egypt. The Lord is with him. And Joseph, the slave, he, he does what he's supposed to do. He shows up for work. He treats people with respect. It's almost as if he's working for someone more important than just his master. And those in charge, they notice this guy, Joseph. They notice this Hebrew slave. And they begin giving him more responsibility. And Joseph does great with more responsibility. Um, word eventually gets to his master, Potiphar, how well this Hebrew slave is, is working and, and doing. Potiphar was a pretty high-ranking official in uh, Pharaoh's administration. Potiphar probably would have... Would have um, been the kind of guy who prided himself in being able to spot talent. So Potiphar brings Joseph into his home. So Joseph has now gone from just being a slave to being a slave in, in management. He's still a slave, but he's moved up a step. Now he's serving in, in Potiphar's home. And a strange thing happens while Joseph is serving in Potiphar's home. He does great. God is with him there as well. And he goes kind of from being Potiphar's assistant to really being sort of Potiphar's CEO as far as his household. In fact, Potiphar, you know, has surrounded himself with all these um, Ivy League uh, 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 
MBA types. And here's this Hebrew slave that like has a GED, and he's rising above all the rest. Let's take a look at the passage once. I'm in, in Genesis chapter 39. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, and let's read about what's taking place here. Genesis chapter 39, verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household, talking about from the time Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Here's one thing we can learn about Joseph. You know, suffering is never a good thing. No one would ever choose suffering. But sometimes, sometimes you learn things about yourself in times of suffering. Sometimes you find out things about yourself. You find yourself rising to a challenge that you never thought you could accomplish. You find hidden abilities that, that actually help you to grow, help you to mature. You start to understand that suffering leads to perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. You know, you think back to when we first meet Joseph. He's kind of a brat. He has it all. He's the favorite child. Um, he's dad's favorite. Then he starts interpreting dreams. He has dreams, and he says, these dreams mean that I'm better than all my siblings. In fact, these dreams mean that one day even my parents are going to bow down and worship me. Now, how do you think that goes over? But Joseph just sort of assumed, I believe, that he was just going to be a part of this wealthy, influential family, that he would always sort of have everything that he always wanted, everything that he always needed, and then in a moment, all of that was taken away. And it would have been so easy for Joseph just to give up. It would have been so easy for Joseph to throw up his hands and say, you know, why me? And start whining and complaining. But again, that's not what he does. He shows up. He treats people well. He's honest. He's respectful. It's almost as if in these difficult circumstances, he realized that he's been given some kind of ability, he's been given some kind of power. And he actually thrives in the middle of the suffering. Now think about it. He's been betrayed. He's been sold into slavery. He's forced to live in a foreign land. He's all alone. He has no friends, no family, no money, no freedom. And yet he discovers something pretty significant about himself you know what, I can do this. I can not only survive in the middle of this suffering, I can actually thrive. And not only does Joseph find something out about himself, he also finds something out about God. You know what, God wasn't just with me when everything was going great. When I was back home wearing the coat, turns out God's with me here in Egypt too. And with God... I can not only do this, I can do it well. I can be great where I am right here. You know, you hear people say things like, in fact, Robbie uh, referenced a situation in his comments before uh, uh, Lord's Supper this morning. 
You know, how could that family get through a tragedy like that? How could that, how could that woman deal with that kind of loss? How could this man deal with that kind of hurt? I could never deal with something like that. I could never handle that kind of hurt. I could never handle that kind of suffering. And then something happens to you. Something happens to your family. And what you find is you learn some things about yourself. And you learn some things about God. Your heart keeps beating. The sun comes up the next morning. The world goes on. And you realize that with God, you can do things that you never thought possible. And Joseph learned that about God in a way that Joseph never would have expected, in a way that Joseph never would have experienced had he not gone through this suffering. You know, I, I think if we were to somehow be able to talk to Joseph at the end of his life and ask Joseph, Joseph, when did you feel like you were the closest to God? I don't think Joseph would say, oh, back home, for sure. Back home when I didn't worry about a thing. Back home when I had everything I needed. Back home when I was the favorite son. That's when I was closest to God. I don't think Joseph would give that answer. I think Joseph would tell us, the time that I felt closest to God was when I was in Egypt. It was when I was so far away from my family when I was so far away from what I thought I needed and wanted, when I was going through something that I never would have chosen for myself, that's when I really experienced the presence of God. And that's when I feel like I was closest to God. Because I think that Joseph learned that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. You know, Joseph had that kind of hope but he really, I think, acquired it when he was thrown into a situation that he never wanted to be thrown into. Now, if you know anything about the story of Joseph, you know his troubles are far from over. Very rarely does the Bible say anything about someone's physical appearance. And yet, the Bible says something about Joseph's physical appearance. The Bible tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Wouldn't you love to have a Holy Spirit-inspired writer write that about you, guys? Yes, he is well-built and handsome. Yeah. But that's what we're told about Joseph. He is well-built and handsome. You know who noticed that Joseph was well-built and handsome? Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar's wife makes a pass at Joseph. And it would have been so easy for Joseph just to say, you know what? I'm a million miles from home. Who is possibly going to know? Who would possibly care? It would have been so easy for Joseph to say, why not? But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph understands that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So, as easy as it would have been for Joseph to say yes, instead, Joseph says, no, absolutely not. Unfortunately, Joseph isn't rewarded for doing the right thing. In fact, Joseph is punished for doing the right thing. He's thrown into prison. 
Let's go back to the text. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 39. Take a look in verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, he's in prison now, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all, that, all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So as far as Joseph's uh, life is concerned, you know, things have pretty much gone from bad to worse. But it turns out the Lord is still with him. He's not serving in, in Potiphar's house. Now, now he's serving in prison. Now he's serving a prison warden. And yet, Joseph understands that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And while he's in prison with other prisoners, he interprets a couple dreams for some people that used to be employed by the Pharaoh, a baker and a butler. And the interpretation of those dreams is sort of good news, bad news for those two. Joseph tells the baker, mm, you're going to be put to death. He tells the butler, you're going to be restored. You're going to go back working for Pharaoh. And his interpretation of those dreams is accurate. So the baker is put to death. The butler is returned to service to Pharaoh. But before the butler leaves prison, he tells Joseph, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to go back working for Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him the kind of man that is in his prison right now. And so the butler goes back in the service of Pharaoh, and Joseph is in prison waiting. He's waiting for the butler to come through. And the next day dawns, and nothing happens. And the next day dawns, and nothing happens. Joseph is still in prison. And another day, and another day, well, the butler's probably busy. You know, there's a time process here. The butler will get around to it. Over 700 days go by. Over 700 mornings, Joseph wakes up in a dark, dank cell, just waiting for this thing to be over. When's this thing going to be over? How long do I have to endure this? Anybody asking those questions lately? You know, when's this going to end? When can we get back to you know, where we want to be? Well, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And the butler remembers, hey, there's a guy in prison that's pretty good at interpreting dreams. So finally, after two years, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. He interprets his dream and this strange, strange, strange story of Joseph finally puts him in a different place and he begins a whole nother life. It's such an odd story. It's such a strange tale, this tale of Joseph. Now, you're not exactly sure what's good news and bad news. Something happens, was that a good thing? Was that a bad thing? You're not exactly sure what's up and what's down, what's positive and what's negative. You, know, you think about it. Um, his life starts off great. 
He's the favorite son of the favorite wife. He's got the coat. He's got it made. But then something terrible happens. His brothers sell him into slavery. But while he's in slavery, a strange thing happens. God shows up. God's with him. And Joseph does great in slavery. Joseph actually rises to the very top as far as he could go in that situation. But then a terrible thing happens to him. Potiphar's wife accuses him of something that he didn't do. And so Joseph is thrown into prison. That's a terrible thing. A terrible thing to be thrown into prison. But a strange thing happens while he's in prison. God is with him in prison. And Joseph does great in prison. In prison, Joseph rises as high as he possibly could in that situation. But then something terrible happens to Joseph. He rightly interprets a couple dreams. And the butler's going to go, and he's going he's to make sure that Joseph gets released. But he never does. Two whole years go by. And finally, the butler remembers. And Joseph's brought before Pharaoh. And Joseph does great with Pharaoh because God's with him with Pharaoh as well. And Joseph rises as high as he possibly could rise. He becomes second in command to Egypt, as high as he possibly could go in that situation. Turns out that all of that suffering actually led to Joseph's greatest victories. Actually led to Joseph's greatest glories and greatest opportunities. So let me share with you a couple of observations about hope and God and Joseph and suffering. Here's one thing we can take away from this part of Joseph's story. You know, so often we find ourselves running on a treadmill after stuff. So much so that I think sometimes we lose track of what we're actually running after. Is it money, status, comfort, happiness? We just keep running after stuff. And then something happens and we get knocked off that treadmill. And it sort of makes us reassess what we were running after in the first place. It sort of makes us question where our priorities have been. You know, right now, for a lot of people, we've been knocked off that treadmill. And I believe that a lot of people are reassessing, what's my life really about? What's really important in my life? What's the meaning that I want to assign to my life? And again, I'm not suggesting that suffering is a good thing. And I'm not suggesting that it's caused by God. None of us would choose to suffer but it does give us a different perspective on life. And quite often, suffering does allow us the gift of change because it reminds us that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Here's a second lesson that we learned from Joseph. What do you do when your dreams die? What do you do when everything that you'd planned, the the way your life was going to play out, what do you do when that doesn't happen? You know, what happened to Joseph, it's going to happen to you as well. I don't want to be negative here, but it's going to happen to you as well. Some of your plans are going to die. Some of your dreams are going to fade. Might not be today, might not be tomorrow, 
might not be this year, but at some point in your life, those dreams are going to fade, or at least they'll change. Now, what do you do? What do you do when you lose your family? What do you do when you lose your dream? What do you do when you get betrayed? What do you do when you're forgotten by your friends? What do you do when people take advantage of you? What do you do when you lose your job? What do you do when you find yourself sort of languishing in the pit? All of those things happen to Joseph. Some of those things are going to happen to you. What do you do? You know, we could throw up our hands and say, why me? We could just whine and say, life is not fair. Or I guess we could just say, well, that's the way it goes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. We could, we could just be um, resigned or bitter or angry. We could dial down our expectations and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to just grit my teeth and I'm going to get through life. It's miserable, but I'm going to get through life. But that's not the hope that Scripture talks about. One day a man named Jesus walked the earth. And Jesus made it very clear that through suffering and through pain, you can, you can see God and you can meet God in ways that you never would otherwise. And then a terrible thing happened to Jesus. They put him on trial. They nail him to a cross. And they lay his body in a tomb. But a strange thing happens in the tomb. God is with Jesus in the tomb. And Jesus does great in the tomb. In fact, he is exalted. He is promoted as high as he possibly could be promoted at the right hand of God. And all of that suffering that he went through, it led to his glory. It became the reason for our hope. And then he leaves, and he leaves us with a promise that one day there's going to be a reunion. That one day there's going to be a union. And if we persevere, that hope belongs to us. This morning as I wrap up, I want you to be reminded, God knows what's going on. Absolutely. God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in the world. He knows what's going on in your family, with your health. He knows what's going on in your heart. He, he knows what's going on with this virus. And God knows that we long for hope. I, I think maybe now it is so heightened, and maybe more than ever, the world is longing for hope. And God wants you to know that in the middle of all this uncertainty, in the middle of all this doubt and frustration and fear, and in the middle of all this suffering, you can do it. Not only can you do it, you can do it well. Because in the middle of times like these, God's with us. And a strange thing happens to people who focus on God in times like these. They do great. And they share things that people need to hear. And they share things that people need to see. 
They do great in times of suffering. And God is glorified. And Jesus is focused on. Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Let me read that passage from Romans 5 one more time. Let these words of Paul kind of wash over you. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the spirit that you've given us, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We're thankful that you've poured out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray about this health crisis that's going on the world over. I pray that you would bless those who are suffering, that you would enable those who are searching for a cure or a vaccine, that you would protect those who are serving in so many ways. Father, we look to you for answers, and we are thanking you and praising you for your faithfulness. Be with us during these trying times. Help us to look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, to share your light and your love with people that we might have influence over. Bless our church family during this time. Continue to help us to focus on being disciples who make disciples. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Our singer's going to share one last song, and then I'm going to come back up and, and share just a, a final thought and announcement.